Uh, Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much again for uh, your son Jesus who paid the entire price for our sins, who died for our sins and rose from the dead. And Father, thank you for the privilege we have to worship and praise you through Christ, Lord God. And pray that you would bless your word as it goes out. May we be responsive and may you be glorified in that response. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You can still hear me over there on the West Coast? Yes, thumbs up. Okay, very good. (laughs) Very good. All right. Wonderful. All right. Well, I mentioned last week that our our churches uh, these days are a grab bag of leadership. Uh, There's all kinds of different styles, all kinds of different leaders, um, but uh, the leadership you have in a church determines really how the church goes. And uh, if it is the Lord's leadership, then it's going to go the Lord's way. If it's done the Lord's way, it's going to go the Lord's way. But man uh, comes in and tries to do things his way. And today we're going to continue our lessons in leadership as we look at the book of Nehemiah. We are drawing close to the end of this book, so be praying for what we'll be studying next. I'm leaning towards the New Testament, looking at different passages and and, uh, books, but uh, be praying for that. But would you turn, if you're not already there, in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 13. Nehemiah 13. And we have been studying the book of Nehemiah. And the first six chapters in Nehemiah, if you've been with us, was about the rebuilding of the walls. The rebuilding of the wall uh, and the and the gates and the, those things that uh, uh, so that the city could be inhabited and they wouldn't be a reproach to the nations. This, this, uh, this city with the temple in the middle. And uh, through God's graciousness, in the context of great opposition, Nehemiah led them within 52 days to rebuild the walls and restore the gates. And then we saw uh, in chapters uh, 8 through 10 that not only did the walls need to be rebuilt, but that the people needed to be rebuilt. Chapter 7, the city was uh, empty and not inhabited. And so Nehemiah, you'd think at this point, they've got the walls built, it's all done, let's get the people there. No, the people needed to be rebuilt. And that's what we saw in chapters 8 through 10, where the people decided and, and called upon to hear the word of God through Ezra. And the Levites taught them in a stinging fashion so that they would understand the truth. And they responded to the word of God and they repented. And we saw that the entire group, and we'll look at this a little later, that the leaders and the people all committed to walk in God's ways and to obey him. And they even pointed out the ways that they had failed and desired then to walk rightly uh, in relationship to the unsaved, the, the, the Canaanites, relationship to their work and trust, which we'll look at today, and in relationship to the house of God being forsaken. And so we have a tremendous reality that these people, they recognized uh, that all the trouble that had been brought upon Israel in being exiled and now being back in the land, but being slaves unto, unto, this, 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 unto the Persians, uh, that all this trouble was because of their sin. And therefore they desired to obey the Lord. And then we came to chapter 12 where we had a glorious uh, uh, dedication of the wall. We learned all kinds of wonderful truth about how we are to worship. And we saw that our worship needs to be planned and pure. We need to be pure. We need to be right before the Lord. We saw that it needs to be organized 
and it needs to be immersed in glorifying music and singing that brings thanksgiving to God. It also needs to be focused on Jesus Christ, focused on the once-for-all sacrifice that all the sacrifices pointed to. And then we saw it would include even worshipful offering unto the Lord. And lastly, there would be the preaching of the word that convicts. We saw that up to chapter 13, verse 4. And then last week, we began to look at some valuable insight into godly leadership as Nehemiah has left, actually, it's 12 years have gone by, and he has come back. Uh, now, we don't know how long he was gone, but he was, uh, 12 years have gone by, he's come back, and he's found some things not to be as he desired them to be in the Lord. So with that in mind, Nehemiah chapter 13, and let's take a look at verse 15, which is where we'll start today. In those days I saw in Judah some who were treading wine presses on the Sabbath, and bringing in sacks of grain and loading them on donkeys, as well as wine and grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads. And they brought them into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. So I admonished them on the day they sold food. Also, men of Tyre were living there who imported fish and all kinds of merchandise and sold them to the sons of Judah on the Sabbath, even in Jerusalem. Then I reprimanded the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing you are doing by profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do the same so that our God brought on us and on this city all this trouble? Yet you are adding to the wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. And it came about that just as it grew dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the door should be shut and that they should not open until after the Sabbath. Then I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load should enter on a Sabbath day. Once or, once or twice the traders and merchants of every kind of merchandise spent the night outside Jerusalem. Then I warned them and said to them, Why do you spend the night in front of the wall? If you do so again, I will use force against you. From that time on, they did not come on, a, on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come as gatekeepers to sanctify the Sabbath. For this also, remember me, O my God, and have compassion on me according to the greatness of thy loving kindness. Here we have uh, the second of three sections, which I'll mention, and it's helpful to understand that. Uh, that in context, Nehemiah is going to see evil. He's going to see evil. We saw last time he saw evil concerning uh, the high priest had allowed Tobiah to have a place in the temple. He saw that evil, and uh, and he saw him, and he kicked Tobiah out. Tobiah is a bad guy. If you both as Nehemiah, he's not a good guy. And having Tobiah, he took up those rooms in which the tithes were to be collected to pay the singers and the Levites. So they didn't have any pay for their work for the Lord, which was ordained in the word of God. And so they left. And so Nehemiah addressed the, the uh, profaning of the, of, the, of, the, of the temple and the neglect of it. And then we have today, uh, he's addressing the issue of the Sabbath and them breaking the Sabbath. And then in our last message, that in the message, the last one we'll look at, we're going to see that Nehemiah addresses again the problem of uh, uni, union of, of marriages with the Canaanites. And so he's going to address all these things. And in each one of these things, 
we see he shows that they're evil, that they're evil what they're doing, and then he does the right thing. Uh, we'll see later on with the people who are marrying Canaanites. He's, he fought with them. He pulled their beard out and all sorts of stuff. He was really, really getting at it, okay? He threw out Tobiah, and today we're going to see he reproves and repudiates. Now, in the first portion we saw last time, there were the, the, the officials that were approved. And here, certainly the, the high priest last time, now we're going to see the nobles. And then we're going to see the priests and those being reproved in the last section. So it really has to do with a lot about leadership and how leadership can allow those to be tempted to go astray. They're certainly responsible for going astray, but bad leadership needs to be dealt with and dealt with quickly. And sin needs to be addressed in the church immediately. And that's what Nehemiah does. And so within this, we come to this portion, the second portion. And in each one of these portions in this last section, this happens after Nehemiah has left. He has left and come back. And these are the exact same areas, as I mentioned before, in chapter 10, which they had said, hey, we're going to obey the Lord. It's, It's very interesting because in chapter 10, when they were hearts were right, convicted by the word of God, they said, hey, we're going to walk the Lord. And then they defined three areas that we're going to walk rightly with. One was in relationship to foreign wives. The other one was in relationship to not forsaking the house of God by not bringing the tithes and not supporting those working it. And the third one was in terms of the Sabbath and profaning it. And now Nehemiah leaves and comes back. And what has happened? How quickly we fall, how quickly we can go to that which is not right. And we're going to see that although this profane the Sabbath is a very serious sin in the light of the, the covenant that uh, the Jews made with the Lord, the old covenant, very serious sin, that we can justify sin. We can justify it because, uh, hey, we need to eat. We need to work. We need to get our lives in order. We need these things. And so we might do things where we don't trust the Lord and we, in a sense, profane his word where we should be trusting him and not relying on our own wisdom, strength, understanding. Uh, that's not good. So we need to be those who trust in Christ. And so we have this portion. And in the second and third portions, we'll look at the second today, we have this phrase, in those days I saw, in those days I also saw. We see that in verse 15 and then in verse 23. Nehemiah is an observant leader. He is observing what's going on. And so then, uh, we need to know that uh, this is important. Now you say, okay, that's great, but we're New Testament believers. We're not in the old. We're not old covenant Jews. Uh, we're, how does this apply to us? Well, I mentioned this last week that God makes it very clear that through the failures of Israel in their sin, that we are instructed, and in those in whom the end of the age has come. Let me remind you in that. Turn to First Corinthians chapter ten. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And so, yes, we take it in its right context, but there are instruction, there is instruction for us. There's instruction for us. You know, some of this is, uh, is, is, some of these things are prescriptive. There were, God says to do this. Some of it is descriptive. And we learn from that. We learn from that in its right context. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 6, now these things happened as examples for us. That's speaking of what happened with the Jews in, uh, in, 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 the, in the wilderness. Okay, That we should not crave evil things. We, that's us now. That's us now. As they also craved. And do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. 
nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. That's pretty severe, isn't it? Uh, now let us, nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction. They're written for our instruction. Yes, we take it in its right context, the old covenant context, we take it, but it's written for our instruction. He says, upon whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And then we know that there's no temptation that's come upon man. So that was just coming to man. Uh, and God is faithful, who will provide a way of escape that we may be able to endure. And I'm just paraphrasing that. And then we also know from Romans chapter 15, verse 4, and I'll read this for you. You can jot it down or turn, but I'll read it for you. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, that through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So the Old Testament instructs us in ways, it's all pointing to Christ Jesus. Remember, uh, Jesus was talking to the, to the, to the Jews and he says, you know, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. John 5:36. but it's in these that bear witness of me. You see, it's about Jesus Christ. It's the right context. But we have instruction on what not to do, and we have instruction that also brings us hope, encouragement, and perseverance of the scriptures. And so we come to Nehemiah, and we're going to see, and we saw last time, actually I'll just review this briefly, we saw last time uh, that godly leaders addressed defilement and in neglect in the house of God. They, ne- they addressed it. They addressed it. Indeed, as I mentioned, Nehemiah had gone back to the king, Artaxerxes, 12 years after the wall had been completed, after that grand dedication. And we know from what we saw last week that Eliashib, uh, the high priest, bad guy, bad guy, that he ends up making a, a room and giving rooms in the temple to Tobiah, who's an Ammonite. Uh, just earlier, they had just made it clear, they had read the word of God 12 years earlier, hey, no Ammonites should be in the assembly, no Moabites. And guess what? Nehemiah says, look at this. Look what's happening. And so Nehemiah hears of this, he throws him out. He throws him out, and that's the right thing to do. And then we see that because of that, the house of God was forsaken. The people didn't get their tithes who were serving, so they left to their fields. And because the rooms that were supposed to hold those ties to give to the Levites and the singers, uh, they were occupied by Tobias stuff. And so Nehemiah dealt with that too, and he uh, he uh, reprimands the officials. Why is the house of God forsaken? Verse 11. And then we see uh, he gets and restores the people to their place, the, the ties, verses 12 and 13. And then he declares for God to remember him and not blot out his loyal deeds. Uh, you know, it's a, that's, a, that's a Hebraism. I didn't mention it last week. But, uh, you know, when you see that the Lord would not blot out your names from the book of life, it's not that he can blot them out. We're saved. Once saved, always saved. It is a Hebraism to say there's in no way will that ever happen. And so he's saying, in no way, Lord, would this ever happen. And so he's saying, Lord, remember me. Think about me. Uh, think about me. Uh, think about this, as we'll see. And we'll look at this again. Uh, and this is the first area. And that leads us to our passage, uh, where we see the second area of disobedience, of disobedience. And we're going to see that godly leaders address those who pollute God's commands uh, by trusting in money or work rather than him rather than him, okay? And here's our passage. 
verse uh, 15, in those days I saw in Judah some who were treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing sacks of grain and loading them on donkeys as well as wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads. And they brought them into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. So I admonished them on the day they sold food. So here we have in those days. Now we looked at this last time uh, that there's something in verse 5. It says uh, that before this or kind of makes it point like the timing is before the dedication. But we saw that literally could be translated in the face of this, literally. In the face of them 12 years earlier saying, hey, we're not going to invite Ammonites, then Tobiah was invited into the place, right? And that was on that day. And then he says here, also in our passage, in those days I saw, same time, the days in which which Nehemiah had left, and he comes back and he sees all this trouble. That's what he's talking about. It's in that timing, okay? He says here, and what did he see? He saw, first of all, some who were treading wine presses on the Sabbath. Well, what's he talking about? Well, that's pretty simple. They were working, trading wine presses out. Notice they were doing other things going on in relationship to that, bringing in sacks, middle of verse 15, of grain, and loading them on donkeys. This is uh, operations as usual, basically. It seems like, you know, uh, wine, well as wine, grapes, figs, all kinds of loads that they might, that they brought them into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. So here it is, some in Judah. Now, we're going to notice that Nehemiah basically addresses this issue by primarily reproving the leaders. The leaders, we're going to see that. He addresses this issue primarily by those who are allowing this to happen, and he deals with it by not allowing it to happen, by addressing it and then not not to happen. He says, some in Judah. And notice what he says here. To these guys, the some that are doing it, he says, so I admonished them on the day they sold food. Hey, right in relationship to it, he admonished them. You know, it's always good to admonish someone in the midst of the act. Admonish them when they're actually doing what's wrong, right? This is wrong. This is wrong. Stop it, as we're going to see. And I'm sure he explained, as we'll see in a moment, from the Word of God, how they were not to do so. And we'll even see later on, as he addresses the official, or the nobles, that's saying, hey, this is why all this came upon us. Why are you doing this? Why would you do this evil? And think about it. If you have been disciplined by God for sin, and you know it, and you've experienced it, and you've turned from that, why would you do it again? It's why all that came upon you before. You want it to happen again? You're, you're building up for it again, right? Because God is a good God who disciplines the ones he loved. So here he admonishes some in Judah. And that's the area, the southern area, southern kingdom, basically that Judah, the, the area there now, the southern area of Israel. And that's where Jerusalem is in, okay? So he admonished some in Judah. And uh, we see that because they were working on the Sabbath. And later on, we're going to see the leaders were actually polluting it. They were polluting it. They were profaning the Sabbath. That's very serious, very serious. So he admonishes them. And then notice uh, in verse 16, also men of Tyre uh, were living there who imported fish and all kinds of merchandise and sold them to the sons of Judah on the Sabbath. Notice it again, on the Sabbath, even in Jerusalem. This is about the Sabbath, right? Uh, look at verse 19. And it came about just as it grew dark in the gates, uh, at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, right? 
Uh, we're going to see and then look at the end there. He shut them until after the Sabbath, the end of the verse. Then I stationed some of my servants at the gates that they sh- no load should enter on the Sabbath. He should do it the Sabbath here. Verse 21. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. Right? And I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come as gatekeepers to sanctify the Sabbath day. So this passage is about the Sabbath being broken. It is about the Sabbath being polluted or profaned. And so with that in mind, it would be wise for us to understand the Sabbath in its Old Testament context and in its New Testament understanding. So I want to give just a brief overview here, and I know certainly as I go through this, this can open up more questions for you and certainly go to the Word and look for those answers. I'd certainly be happy to talk to you about it, but I want to give a brief overview of the Sabbath. Now, this term translated Sabbath, Shabbat, it means rest. That's what it means. It means rest. That really, okay, that almost helps me finish the whole thing, right? I can stop there. Well, there's more to it than that. We know... Um, on, uh, in Genesis 2, 2, and by the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he, Shabbat, he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which, which he had done. Now, certainly the Lord wasn't tired, right? Um, but he rested. He was, com- the work was complete. There was no more work going on. The idea of rest means you're not working. You're resting, right? The two, the two don't work together. You can't work and rest at the same time, unless you're lazy, by the way, right? Okay, but uh, you really can't, right? So here we have this concept of rest. Now, that's certainly in relationship to the Lord. But what about in relationship to man? Well, we know that before sin entered into the world, Adam and Eve enjoyed this rest with the Lord. They enjoyed this rest with the Lord. They were not working in any way, shape, or form for their relationship with the Lord. Okay, and we'll see this in a little bit. They weren't working for it. They were resting, although there was, there was profitable work for them to do. But they were resting in the relationship with the Lord. But then they sinned. And in that day, they did surely die, as God said they would. They were separated from God because of sin. Now, they were restored. We see that later on through faith in the seed of Eve who would come. That's Christ, okay? They, they, they believed, okay? But we know that because of sin, there is no rest for the wicked. There's no rest. There's no rest. Because of uh, sin, man is separated from God, And within that separation, a man continually, habitually tries to do things to be right with God or to be right with themselves or whatever it is. It's all works, right? It's works. But folks, when we are saved, we are not saved by works. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Indeed, the Lord Jesus Christ alone is the one who will give you rest, uh, salvation rest uh, from your work. You know, those who were trying so hard in Judaism, you know, were trying to come to the Lord. And Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's through Jesus Christ we have rest. And I read this earlier, but I want to read it again now for the message. I read it for in the service, but let's turn to Hebrews chapter 3 because this really helps us out because the rest that the Jews were going to have by getting the promised land was a picture of salvation rest in Jesus Christ. And it is obtained by faith, but it can be missed. You can miss that rest. Again, Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. 
and I got a lot here, and I, I have Hebrews 3.77. That's not right. Hebrews 3.7, okay? That's, uh, I don't think it was 77 there. Hebrews 3, verse 7, and I'm going to read through this. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, by the way, the Spirit of God brings forth the Word of God, the Scriptures, right? Through man inspired by the Spirit. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers, now remember, I mentioned this earlier, but Hebrews is being written to Jews, okay? It's written to those, uh, and there are believers, but there's a group of Hebrews that are in that group who name the name of the Lord, but they haven't come to faith yet. And they're just about ready to turn away from that, and there are these warnings throughout the book not to do that but to come to Jesus Christ. Because if you turn away from Christ, there is no other salvation. There is no restoring to repentance. And so here, this is one of those warnings in a sense. So he says there, uh, as they provoked me in the day of trial in the wilderness, verse 9, where your fathers, the Jewish fathers, tried me by testing me, and they saw my works for 40 years at the Red Sea. They saw all the stuff. They had everything. Uh, Therefore, I was angry with them, excuse me, angry with this generation, I said, they always go astray in their heart and they do not know my ways. And I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Okay, now certainly on a surface level, that's the promised land, but we're going to see it was much more than that. And the writer of Hebrews explains this. Take care, brethren, lest there should be any one of you uh, in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. Now, if you're truly saved, you can't fall away from the Lord, but if you are, are, are identifying with him, which you haven't truly trusted him, you can fall away. And it's dangerous, dangerous. And he says here, but encourage one another as, day after day, as long as it's still called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have been become partakers of Christ if we hold fast uh, the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they, when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And so we see that they were not able to enter, what? Because of unbelief. Unbelief, okay? Remember those spies? They didn't believe, right? Yeah, they didn't believe. It was the last, you've spurned me ten times, the Lord was, was done with that, right? And he laid them low in the wilderness. And so here he says, and then he was four, therefore let us, now it comes to the New Testament, it comes to us now, let us fear lest while promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you should seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had the good news of the gospel, the, the Evangelion, the gospel preached to us, just as they also, they heard the good news. They heard the gospel. Uh, they heard it, and but guess what happened? They, uh, but, it, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest. And he says, just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation world. So how can we now in the New Testament enter that rest? Uh, well, we enter it through faith in Jesus Christ, as we'll say. We enter it. And so he says here, for he has thus said somewhere concerning the seventh day. Now he brings in the seventh day. Kind of interesting. 
Okay? Uh, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had the good news preached them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day today, saying through David, after such, after so long a time as it has been said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you hear his voice, that's the word of God by the Spirit of God, convicting you of sin and Jesus Christ. You hear his voice, don't harden your heart. He says here, for if Joshua had given them rest, he's using an example, hey, the rest we're talking about is not simply the promised land. As a picture. If Joshua had given them rest, and yes, he did leave the promised land. He sure did, didn't Joshua? But if that was the rest he's talking about by faith, then something's not right here. If Joshua had given then he would not have spoken of another day after that. There therefore remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. When you become a child of God, we enter into his rest. Sabbath rest. And we're going to see that on. We enjoy the says, don't you, don't you hold to the Sabbath? It's an everlasting deal. Well, yeah, it was for the old covenant, but hey, I'm celebrating the Sabbath every single day. I am resting in Jesus Christ through faith in him. I have entered into that Sabbath rest. All that points to. And so he says here, there therefore remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest, he himself has also rested from his works. No longer trying to reach God through, through works, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And so then he says here, he says here, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall through following the same example of disobedience, which was unbelief. That's what he said earlier. So then we have uh, this picture of the Sabbath salvation rest, but what does it have to do with the Sabbath day? Well, we see a little association there in Hebrews, don't we? We see God rested on the seventh day, right? The Sabbath. That was his Sabbath in a sense. Um, and so now in, in Exodus chapter 16, we see that the Lord fed his people with bread from heaven, manna, and that Moses instructed the Israelites to collect it for six days, gathering twice as much on the sixth day. Then they were not to gather on the second, seventh day. They were to rest. It's a picture. They were to trust the Lord, okay? And indeed, if they trusted him and did not work in obedience, God would provide for them. And in the same way in salvation, we trust in Jesus, and he provides salvation. Trust in God through Christ. In Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11, we see the Sabbath, with which, by the way, is our Saturday, it was blessed and set apart. And here we have the fourth commandment of the old covenant between Israel and God. Exodus chapter 20, I'll read this for you. Verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. It is in it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Again, it's about rest, right? From work, okay? Which implies trust in the Lord, okay? You see, and on a side note, the Sabbath is the only one of the Ten Commandments that doesn't have a moral aspect to it. It it, it has an element of God saying you need to rest because I'm telling you to rest because of the picture of his rest, right? We'll see, and thus salvation rest, as we will see. 
It is a ceremonial shadow that pointed to something greater that is really important, really important. So the Lord God gave the Sabbath, but not only to remember him, as we'll see, to focus on him and trust in him, but it was also a gracious provision. The Sabbath was for man and not the man for, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus made that point. But we see this even in Exodus 23. Exodus 23. Six days you are to do all your work. Verse 12. You can note these down and look them up later. But on the seventh day you shall cease in labor in order that your ox or donkey may rest. It was a provision even for the animals to rest, okay? And that the son of your female slaves as well, your stranger, may refresh themselves. The Sabbath was for man and even that animals could be refreshed. The Lord Jesus, when he was reproving the Pharisees, he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Consequently, the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. Mark chapter 2, verse 27 and 28. So then we have this principle, and we know also that the Sabbath was given as a sign of God's covenant between Israel and him. It was a sign. Now, a sign isn't anything but a sign. When I see a sign out front, it says church. That's not the church. That is a sign pointing to the church. Signs point to something. They point to something. And here, we see here like uh, that every covenant had a sign. Uh, the sign of the covenant with Noah, a rainbow. The sign of with Abraham, circumcision. The sign with Israel given to Moses. The Sabbath, Exodus 31, 16. So the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. And I believe New Testament Jews and Jews in the millennium and Jews forever will celebrate the Sabbath, and we will too, in Jesus Christ every day, resting in him, by the way, perpetual, forever. And so here it says, It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel, there you go, forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but the seventh day he ceased from labor and was refreshed, it says here. And so here we have the rainbow, circumcision, and the Sabbath, all signs pointing to an agreement that God made with man. Different agreements, okay? And so there are many Old Testament pictures also. There are pictures that we need to understand. Bread and manna, right? Sacrifices and lambs, offerings, the temple, high priest, and the Sabbath. And the New Testament reveals what the Old, what the Old Testament was pointing to. The, the, the symbolism and the shadows and symbols pointed to a substance behind that, a substance behind that. Concerning bread, Jesus is the bread who came down from heaven. We're to partake only of him, right? John 8, John 6. Concerning the sacrifice, Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Concerning the Passover Lamb, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, he is our Passover Lamb. Jesus Christ is. Burnt offerings and offerings, we see those are offered, the fragrant aroma of Christ uh, to God. We see that. Um, we have the high priest pointed to Jesus, our high priest, right? Hebrews 2, 1 Timothy 2, 5. Well, what about the Sabbath day? What does that point to? Well, I've already revealed this already, but turn with me this time to Colossians chapter 2. Because there were people trying to pull the Colossians away from focusing on Christ. And they were doing it by focusing on the shadows. Now, the shadows are only good if it points you to the reality. You know, think about this. If I've got a picture of my wife, and I'm, you know, and I'm looking at it, they go, oh, boy, I really love my wife, and I, oh, honey, you're wonderful, and this and that, but she's right next to me. Wait a second. <laughs> I'm ignoring the reality. 
looking to the shadow. This points to her, you see? And it is dishonoring to her to look at the shadow and elevate that shadow. That shadow should point me to the reality. The reality. And so here, Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to food, drink, and respect of festival, new moon, or Sabbath day. Don't let them judge you, tell you, hey, you should be doing this. That's what he's saying, basically. Act as your judge. Why aren't you doing that, right? Uh, now he's going to say, things which are, which are what? A mere shadow. He says Sabbath day is a mere shadow, by the way. It's a mere shadow. He says here, a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The Sabbath day pointed to the rest we have in Jesus Christ. It is super important. Therefore, the disobedience of the shadow was twofold. One, you dishonor the reality, which is super huge, has to do with salvation. But secondly, there was this idea that God was letting them rest and trust in him. And so if you disobey that, you are showing that you don't trust in the Lord. You see, so it was twofold in that sense. So here... We recognize that this pattern, this picture was about Sabbath rest in Christ. We saw that again. I can read it again, but I already read it twice today in Hebrews chapter 4. We get our salvation rest in Jesus Christ. It's connected with the six days and the Sabbath. It's connected with everything. It's pointing to salvation rest in Jesus. Now, some people can be misled and misunderstand because of zealousness to obey God's word and focus on some of these things, and we need to graciously point them to the, to the reality that's behind that. Now, if they're not willing to, then that means there's maybe a more serious issue that they haven't truly come to faith in Jesus yet, and they need Jesus Christ, right? Okay, so then we need to recognize that this focuses on the Lord Jesus Christ, and those who have believed enter that rest, Hebrews 4, 3. Okay, so a little bit about Sabbath. Now, it's important to notice that back in their time, I want to look at one more passage and turn to this, Exodus 31, let's turn it together, that in the Old Covenant, it was a serious thing to profane the Sabbath. It was not a good thing. It was a serious thing. Now, the bad guys, the Pharisees and Jews, they, they elevated the, the symbol above the Lord. That's the whole deal that's going on in Matthew 11 and 12. Come to me all you weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And then next verse, chapter 12, he's walking in the Sabbath and, and picking stuff to eat in the Sabbath, right? And the Pharisees come in, boom, you know, and he has to correct them, right? Okay. Exodus 31, verse 13, or 12. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, But as for you, speak to the sons of Israel. You shall surely observe my Sabbath, for this is a sign before me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who set you apart. Hey, you got to rest in Jesus. Then you know he's the one who sets you apart, right? Okay. Uh, therefore, you are to observe the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. This is the Israelites, by the way, the old covenant Israelites. Everyone who, notice this word, profanes the Sabbath shall be put to death. Oh, boy. That's kind of a pretty big consequence. That means this is really important. You see, even the symbols were very important because they pointed to incredible realities and truths concerning salvation in Jesus Christ. And so here, for it is holy to you. Everyone who prays trains the sh- shall surely be put to death. For whoever And for whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among the people. Wow, pretty serious deal, right? And then he goes on to explain about the Sabbath. So, back to Nehemiah. Back to Nehemiah. 
So then he admonishes those on the day they sold food. End of verse 15. You got some in Judah bringing stuff in. You got stuff going on. You got work going on on the Sabbath. So he admonished them. He admonished them. But notice, that's the people. Now notice what he does with the leaders. It's a little different, okay? But he first of all, he notices something else going on. Look at verse 16. Also, men of Tyre were living there uh, who imported fish, verse 16, and all kinds of merchandise and sold them to the sons of Judah on the Sabbath, even in Jerusalem. So you got these merchants from Tyre, right? Is that uh, the Tyre place down the street? No, okay. All right, bad joke. But they're merchants from Tyre. And most likely this is speaking of the island city of Tyre, by the way, that would be destroyed in 332 by Alexander the Great, as prophesied in Ezekiel 26. Now, Tyre was an arrogant, prosperous city of commerce, wealth, and power, okay? It was just off the shore of what we call Lebanon. And it had become a thorn in Israel's side because Israel didn't drive them out. But it wasn't a thorn in terms of attacking them physically. It was a thorn in terms of the attacks of worldliness, it's very worldly, very prosperous worldly. Even so, in Ezekiel chapter 28, the reproof of the king of Tyre morphs into reproof of the spiritual power behind him, Satan. We see that. Very, very, very bad place, okay? Just like the world. Apart, it's the, Satan's the god of this world, right? Okay? And so here, we have this uh, Tyre stuff. We've got their selling goods. Hey, these guys are making bucks on the Jews. They're ready to buy on the Sabbath, looks like, Right? Okay, even in Jerusalem. This is a horrible thing. It's only been 12 years since the people were convicted of their sins. They made a commitment to no longer profane the Sabbath because they understood God had displayed his disciplinary hand upon them because of that. Look back to um, chapter 10 of Nehemiah. Turn back to chapter 10 and look at uh, verse uh, 31. This was their commitment when they had repented 12 years earlier. As for the peoples of the land, that's uh, who bring wares or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell. Hmm, sounds familiar, doesn't it? Uh, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath day or holy day. We're going to obey the Lord. And now Nehemiah comes back, and what is happening? They're buying. Now, obviously, the, 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 the reality is they're trying to take care of themselves. They need the food to live, whatever it is, but they're not trusting the Lord, and they're not obeying him. And we can be off in the same way where we don't trust the Lord, and we go after finances and money. We'll talk about that later on. Uh, not good. We need to trust the Lord, okay? So then, back in our passage, they're sinning. Nehemiah sees it. He reprimanded the people. He admonished them. But then here, verse 17, notice what happens. Back in Nehemiah 13, then I reprimanded the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil thing you are doing by profaning the Sabbath day? Hey, he didn't miss any words there, did he? He called it what it was. You see, now the nobles here, we saw the officials earlier, first part, first admonishment last week, the nobles now, this is a was a higher class. It was a, a ruling class in a sense. Um, and they were actually not good guys. They'd had some problems earlier. These were the same guys who had, through intermarriage, been yoked with Tobiah back in chapter 6. 
and they sent letters back and forth, and they told what Nehemiah was doing and all of Tobiah's good deeds, which were not good deeds, right? There's all this junk going on with the nobles. And so Nehemiah does this. It says he reprimands them. The word means to contend. He contended with them. He's a godly leader. He's not going to give the nobles a pass to continue in their wickedness, which affects the people. And so he contends with them. And he said, what is this middle of 17, this evil thing you are doing by profaning the Sabbath day? Pretty strong. He goes to the leaders in this situation. The word profane means to pollute, defile, desecrate. Profane the Sabbath. It was a defilement of God's command to allow people to sell because the command was not to sell. It was to rest, right? So they were defiling it. They are polluting it, especially with those from Tyre doing business, in, even in Jerusalem. So this evil is blatant. And you see, when you blatantly disobey God's word, that's evil. That's evil, by the way. And when you lead other people or approve and cause them to do so, parents, you allow your children to disobey God's word, you are profaning his word. You are worthy of reproof. Uh, you are to raise your children up the fear and admonition of the Lord. You are to have them uh, tr- seek to, to trust the Lord, to obey him. You are to discipline them. When you don't do so and you allow them to do evil, you are leading them astray. Not good. And so these nobles are doing it. They're profaning. And again, we saw back in Exodus 31 that it was evil to do this. It was evil. It's incredibly evil because it fosters rebellion towards God's word and self-reliance. You let people buy goods on that day, you're fostering rebellion against God, you're fostering self-reliance and not trust in God. Very evil. And I I hope there's no areas where you, and if there are, you confess it, are fostering self-reliance in your children, fostering self-reliance in those in whom you have a temporal authority over for their good. Whatever it is, whether it's leading in the church, whatever it might be, I pray that that is not happening. So then, he says here, uh, now, notice what he says. He's going to reprimand, and he's also going to explain, hey, th- th- you guys, what is going on here? Isn't this the whole reason God poured his discipline on Israel and why we're in such bad straits right now? Look at verse 18. Did not your fathers do the same so that our God brought on them and on the city all this trouble? We know earlier we saw that Israel, ever since Joshua, never obeyed the Sabbath year for the land. And so God took it back. That was 70 years, over 490 years they didn't obey. He took it back and put them out of the land and let it rest for 70 years. That's the exile, by the way. You can see that. And so he's saying, didn't your fathers do the same, brought all this in the city and the trouble? Hey, you're profaning the Sabbath. You're doing exactly what God brought his wrath on us before. Don't you get it? Don't you get it? Look back at chapter 9. Look back at chapter 9 because this is where they acknowledge that very thing, when they're repentant. When they're repentant. Chapter 9, verse 33. However, this is the good time. This is when they're seeing things rightly. However, thou art just, chapter 9, 33, in, in all that has come upon us. And hey, if you ever get to that point where you see the difficulties in your life because you've been sinning and walking away from the Lord, whatever it might be, and you just go... You are just, Lord, it's all. So many Christians complain about this and this and this, and maybe some of that stuff's discipline. Maybe not. We don't know. Maybe it's Job's situation. But when you get to the point where you're just and everything has come upon me, Lord, your heart's in the right place. Okay? Uh, For thou hast dealt faithfully, but we have acted wickedly. 
For our kings, our leaders, our priests, our fathers have not kept the law or paid attention to thy commandments and thine admonitions which thou hast admonished them. But they in their own kingdom with thy great goodness which thou dost give them, with a broad and rich land which thou dost settle, set before them, did not serve thee or turn from their evil deeds. Behold, we are slaves today. And as to the land which thou dost give us our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty, behold, we are slaves on it. This was 12 years earlier, by the way. And its abundance produce is for the kings whom thou dost set over us because of our sins. They also rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please, so we are in great distress. Now because of all this we are making an agreement in writing, and on a sealed document we are names of our leaders and Levites and priests. They're saying, hey, we're going to obey God. And remember, three of those things were some of the things that are happening here that they are now disobeying. So Nehemiah is saying, did not your fathers do the same so that God brought on us and on the city all this trouble? Don't you realize this is why we're in the situation we're in right now? Because of this very direct, exact disobedience. And then notice the end of verse 18 back in Nehemiah 13. Yet you are adding to the wrath on Israel by polluting the Sabbath. That's exactly what you're doing. Very bad. Very bad. Nehemiah is contending with them. He's a good leader. He admonished the people. He has reprimanded the nobles. He didn't take any time to wait for this. He just did it when he got back. He saw it, and he addressed it right away. And now, notice he's going to take specific actions to protect them from this, okay? Things that the leaders should have done but did not do. That did not do. Verse 19, and it came about just as it grew dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath. I commanded that the doors should be shut and they should not open and open them until after the Sabbath. It's taking practical action. Guess what? Twelve years ago and 52 days, they didn't have any gates. They were all burned down. They didn't have walls. They're rebuilt. They have gates. Just by the way, you can command them. Now they can shut them. Shut them, taking practical a- action. And he says, then I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load should enter on the Sabbath day. Practical action to keep out those bad guys from Tyre. Those guys are coming to, to there's always going to be temptation from the world. Tyre is everywhere. It's all around us. But we need to have things that are, that are in the way, spiritually speaking, so that we don't fall into temptation. We need to be trusting the Lord, obeying him, being careful and cautious in our walk. And then notice, he actually warns the merchants. He's like, he, he actually gets down to it. Verse 20. Once or twice, traders or merchants of every kind of merchandise spent the night outside Jerusalem. Okay. It's like this uh, little place over here, this flea market. You look before Friday and Saturday and Sunday, they had the thing. But Friday night, there's people hanging out, getting ready to sell the next day, right? Well, outside the gates, you got these guys, these merchants, they're getting ready. They're waiting for the gates to open up, Right? They're out there, and notice what he says here. He says, then I warned them, and this is really, really important, and said to them, why do you spend the night in front of the wall? If you do so again, I will use force against you. Hey, you're, we're going to force you out. You do this again, and guess what? From that time on, end of verse 20, they did not come on the Sabbath. Hey, there's good leadership, all right? They didn't come from that point. Leaders need to kick out the worldliness in the church, the false teachers that have come in, the stuff that is, that is infiltrating the church. They need to kick it out 
need to put it out when they see it and not allow it to infiltrate uh, the body of Christ where the body becomes worldly and, and, and then God's discipline is upon the body. We just need to kick it out. Nehemiah is doing this. And notice he sets up a system of security through the Levites. Verse 22. And I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves. Hey, whenever they were serving the Lord, doing God's work, they purified themselves. It was, it was, a, it was a ceremonial purification, right? We saw that cleansing with water. Now that pointed to the purification we have in Christ, right? And so we need to be pure before him. We need to confess our sins when we serve him. When you do things for the Lord Jesus, don't be walking in sin. Be walking in forgiveness, okay, and cleansed from those sins. So he says here, he addressed them as come as gatekeepers to sanctify, to set apart the Sabbath day, to keep it holy, right? To keep it holy. Now, folks, we are not old covenant Jews in a covenant relationship with the Lord at Sinai. That's not us. Uh, we are blessed by the new covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have forgiveness of sins and a relationship with the living God. We are his people. He is our God. He has written the word on our hearts. And he will, as we see in that, save all Israel in the future. They'll all know him when he comes, when the deliverer comes from Zion. But right now, we are blessed by the new covenant through forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. And so then, how might this apply to us in regard to Sabbath? We need to keep anything and guard against anything that would come upon and encroach the Sabbath rest we have in Jesus Christ. Folks, you cannot do anything in your own strength. Apart from Jesus Christ, you could do nothing. We are to abide in him. We are to guard against those who would even bring into the church those things that pull away the sufficiency of Christ in salvation primarily, but also in sanctification. You see it in Galatians. Who has bewitched you? They were already saved, but someone brought in a false gospel even after that. We need to guard against that. Guard against those things where we want to work ourselves to do things rather than abide and trust and obey the Lord Jesus Christ. Guard it. Guard it. And our leaders should be guarding it. You see, leaders are charged to refute and exhort in sound doctrine, Titus chapter 1, that they may uh, address those who contradict, right? And those teachers that arise, those bad guys, okay? So then, Nehemiah has done good. He's done good. He's a good leader. And notice what he says in the end of this passage. This is the end of our portion here. Verse 22, or end, four, end of 22. For this, for what? All the reprimanding, admonishing, and setting up, and protecting, and all that stuff, right? Right? For this, also. Because the first time he asked to remember him earlier, right? For throwing out Tobiah, and doing all that stuff, right? Taking care of the, the forsaken of the house of the Lord. For this, also. Remember me, O oh my God, and have compassion on me according to the greatness of thy loving kindness. Nehemiah is a believer. He trusts the Lord. And he is not saying, O oh Lord, I'm so prideful, exalt me in the future. He's not saying that. He's, he's not saying, O oh Lord, you're, you're a very forgetful God. Uh, remember what I did. No, he's not saying that. He is making a request for the Lord to respond appropriately. Remember, think about what I have done. Think about this according to your loving kindness. And he says here, and have compassion on me. You see, the Lord is going to remember. Hebrews chapter 6, 11, God is not unjust to forget your work and the love you've shown towards his name and having ministered and still ministering to the saints. Hey, you serve him. He's not going to forget it. But here, Nehemiah reveals the reality of how difficult it is to do what's right in the Lord. He says, have compassion means pity, mercy. 
You know what? It is not easy for a leader or for anyone to stand firm in the Lord. You make a lot of uh, intermediate enemies. They were your enemies anyway already, but they just didn't show up because there was compromise. When you stand for the Lord, they arise up, and it is very difficult, especially for leaders. And he is praying, be compassionate on me, be merciful, have pity on me. And folks, you need to pray for your leaders. Pray for them. When they stand up and do what is right, there are all kinds of attacks. Now, these guys certainly weren't happy with Nehemiah, I bet. The nobles, the officials, you know, the, the people from Tyre, you know. We need to pray for your leaders. And he says, have compassion according to, which is really great, the greatness of thy loving kindness, the greatness of thy chesed. That's his loyal, covenant-keeping love. God loves us, and he keeps his word. According to your faithful love to me, have mercy, Lord God. That's a good prayer. It's a good prayer because he understands his weakness. He understands uh, his need of the Lord. So Nehemiah has done good. He has done good. So then, certainly, these things have been written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come, right? Uh, a lot of different lessons here. You probably already got them in your head, but good leaders are going to drive out the, the wicked stuff. They're going to take care of it. They're going to clean house. They're going to address uh, defilement and sin and worldliness in the body of Christ. They're going to do it even to their own hurt and their need for God's pity and mercy upon them in the midst of that, right? They're going to do so. But also for us, we need to recognize that things can creep in where we trust subtly in work or we trust subtly in money. We, we rely on those things rather than obeying the Lord. Obey the Lord and he'll take care of you. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He's going to add all those things, shelter, uh, food, and clothing. You know, seek the things of him. Uh, don't love money or you won't love God, right? Um, seek him. So then when worldliness creeps in like this, that causes us to disobey God because we're not trusting him, we need to deal with it drastically also. Okay, so great lesson from Nehemiah in terms of leadership and then what we should do. Let's pray, okay? Father, thank you so much for your word. You're so good and so gracious. And thank you for Nehemiah's example, godly leader, Lord God. Thank you so much. May those of us who are in leadership positions or will be, whether it's within our households, whatever it might be at church, Lord, may we uh, be like Nehemiah and righteously do what is good, uh, Lord, that you would act rightly in response and take care of us and, and, and take care of the difficulties that come from that. You would show mercy on us, Lord God, and compassion according to that great compassion. And Lord, may we as a body not forget the salvation rest we have in Jesus. May we rest and abide in your son, Jesus. May we fight against those thoughts and things that arise against truly the simplicity of a devotion to your son, resting in him, trusting and obeying him. So thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. And it is all because of your son, Jesus. We pray this in his precious name. Amen.